What's that quote from Arthur we used to do all the time? Arthur. Arthur. Dutch. <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> Can't even do it. <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are two joystick jocks with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry and I'm joined this week by Matt Johnson. Hello Austin. As always, it is my God-given right to be honored to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I'm a joystick jock. It's official. I've been waiting for this designation. I'm happy I could give it to you, and I just went ahead and gave it to myself as well. Thank God. Um, And everyone, just a quick note before we get going. Uh, Keith, unfortunately, will be taking some time away from the show. He has family impacted by Hurricane Laura, and right now is needed there for the time being. He will be back as soon as he can, but for now, it'll be myself and Matt pushing forward with the show. Yes, send him your well wishes, everybody. He'll be back as soon as he can, and in the meantime, if, you know... If you feel so inclined, feel free to donate to people impacted by Hurricane Laura, volunteer where possible, and just, yeah, stay updated. So, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, just like just like Batman, when the signal for help goes up, Keith is the first one there. Very true. Okay, well, I know we said last week we'd be doing a debate on some movie scores this week. However, we are still planning to do that episode, but would rather have Keith be here for that one. So today, we decided to talk about some video games, some VGs, if you will, and not just any games, our favorite games of the current console generation. We have a pretty fun list here. Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get right into it. Yeah, when we were trying to think of an episode to do real quick, I think at first we were like, I guess we could do our favorite games of all time. And then we were like, ah, that might take a long time to put together. So what's something that might still be interesting and, you know, with new consoles, you know, supposedly coming out in the next couple months, unless, you know, things get delayed as they usually do these days. But if that's still the case, we figured why not look back and reflect back on where our current generation of consoles started. And that's where we're going to start this list. So this is going to be like our favorite games of this current console generation. So essentially 2013-ish to present. Yeah, and it really seems like uh, 2015 and 2018 were like the golden years for the current generation, just going off of our current list. Uh, So a lot of the games will be from those two years, it seems like. Yeah, it did kind of work out that way. Yes, good years. Alrighty, well let's get into our first game. It's a PS4 exclusive, and it's 2018's God of War. Uh, this was developed by Santa Monica Studio and Sony Interactive. It takes place sometime in the future after Kratos has taken his revenge on the Greek gods. It's set in Norse mythology, and you travel with your son Atreus to scatter the ashes of your recently deceased wife. Along the way, you encounter many Norse legends and continue to grow your relationship with Atreus. It's a great game. Just such amazing set pieces, character development, action, all of this packaged into one game where exploring is kind of the key and just taking in this world is just so fun and engaging. And I feel like, especially for me, as someone that 
I guess like recently before I played this game, I did play God of War 3, um, which is kind of where the Greek world is destroyed and his story culminates. And there are some story beats that pick up in the current, you no know, more recent God of War game. But I didn't play the, any of the other ones. So the fact that I was able to kind of just pick up and play this new reboot and understand what was going on and still feel emotionally involved and connected to the characters and still felt like I wanted to do every side quest and just, you know, spend as much time with this game as I could, I think certainly speaks volumes. It's just so well made and so fun to play. Yeah, I think something this game captures really well is um, like a great sense of adventure. Like you just want to continue to explore. Um, and I also love the way mythology is told uh, through Mimur, through Mimur, Mimur? I don't know how to say that. Uh, Mimur, and then yeah. also like the wonder that Atreus has with the world. Um, they just do such a great job of making you just always want to keep exploring and like open up every panel, every like just everything you can find and learn more. And to your point, I had never played a God of War game until this one. Mm-hmm. And so I was coming in brand new to the franchise, didn't know anything about it. And I still was like heavily emotionally invested in this story and still had a pretty good sense of what was going on just through the way they tell the story. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Yeah, the visually as well, it's amazing to look at. The fact that they made the game with just a constantly moving camera kind of makes it look like um, there's no cuts. It feels like a movie that doesn't have cuts in a sense. Um, so it's just so cinematic and, and grand and big, but the story itself is so small. It's just about a father and son that don't have the strongest relationship going to spread the ashes of you know their deceased matriarch of the family, essentially. And kind of putting that small of a story in such a new vibrant and huge world with all this terror um and crazy you know characters was really cool and it makes you feel really connected to the world from the start and on top of all that you know all these great things we're saying it's just so fun to play you know playing with the axe and throwing it and then calling it back and then all the combos and moves you can learn and atreus usually characters like that are just not fun to have in your party, but then hitting square and he'll just fire off really helpful arrows to stun enemies. Like, I don't know. It was just pitch perfect, I feel like. Like you said, like when you throw the Leviathan axe and it comes back, like that feels good every single time. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should just say before we get any further, we are probably going to drop some spoilers for all the games here. Um, so if there's anything that you haven't played yet and you don't want spoiled, go play it and come back to this episode, I guess, and you can join in with us uh, in, the, in the enjoyment of these games. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved everything with the world serpent. I found that character super interesting and I love how it just like stays in the background of the lake. And I think my favorite character in this game was Mimir, just like the way he tells the story. And he's really funny too. Like he's literally just there to be a talking head and he didn't get annoying and just stayed compelling the whole time I felt like. Yeah, I think my favorite parts all had to do with Atreus bonding with Kratos and then also some of the more scary moments that come of that where he learns of his true nature, like whenever Kratos is being held down by um, one of the brothers, like one of Thor's sons, one of the bosses you fight and uh, Atreus like starts to unleash his own Spartan rage, which is a move that Kratos could use up until this point. And then he just passes out and he starts, "Uh Oh, he might be catching on to his true nature. And then, you know, whenever the game goes even longer and it starts to seem apparent that Kratos might have to tell Atreus the truth in order to not lose him, essentially, and tell him he is part god, I guess you could say. And what that entails, what that means for their relationship, and how Kratos needs to impart on him to, 
even though they have such power, they need to be better and they need to be responsible with that power because he knows very well from his own past how that can corrupt somebody. So, yeah, there's just such these amazing emotional moments between a father and a son. And I feel like those are some of my favorites just because they felt so impactful. And then where that leads at the end, whenever they finally do get to spread the ashes and seeing where their bond is now as opposed to the beginning is so cool and so many hints for the future games. It's just, yeah, all wrapped up at the end so well and so many great moments along the way. Uh, So I think another really cool moment is like the whole time they're talking about Ragnarok. And then whenever you get back from spreading the ashes, Mimur says, oh, hey, winter started. Um, Then this is the winter that precedes Ragnarok. And then you get if you go back to your house, you get that sweet post credit moment with Thor. Um, So what did you think of that? And are you like, are you excited to see Ragnarok in the upcoming game? Yeah, I mean, the game kind of teases you the whole time whenever you're trying to select locations to go to. Um, Asgard is on the board, but it's just you can't select it, which makes sense because you as a character wouldn't be able to just walk into Asgard, but it is there to kind of tease you for the future, along with some of the other realms that kind of have a more familiar feeling. Um, And then, yeah, at the end, you know, we finally get Thor. He's been talked about the entire game, along with Odin. They were talked about. And then, of course, you kind of wonder, I wonder if they're going to mention Loki. And then the big bombshell at the end that Atreus's original name that his mother wanted to give him was Loki, because he's also part giant. So tons of crazy stuff. And then, yeah, capping it all off with that kind of mid slash post credit, whatever you want to call it, that kind of weird um, scene. If you go back to the house when Thor drops down. Yeah, I have no idea where this you know, series, assuming a trilogy, maybe of God of War games. I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. And he's also alluded that he, if he could shapeshift, he would want to shapeshift into animals. So I wonder if we'll get some shapeshifting too from Loki in the next couple of games as well. Yeah. I'd have to imagine. So I think they're going to play a lot more with that. Yeah. So before we move move on from this one, I also do want to mention um, Freya's rage whenever Balder dies. Do you think she's actually going to become a villain in the next game? Or do you think she'll eventually come back? to being on Kratos' side? Because Mimur does say he thinks um, after she grieves, maybe her rage will soften. So what do you think is going to happen with her character? I have to imagine it'll play a part. I mean, it really did feel like they were setting up a villain there for the future, or at least conflict. Who knows? Maybe they'll kind of turn it on its head and maybe she will become an ally like a couple games from now. But I don't know. Yeah, that specifically at the end there did seem like the consequence for him killing Balder might be that she's going to become kind of like a powerful villain in the future. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, I was really sad with that twist because she was one of my favorite characters in this game. But I'm excited to see what they do with her rage as well. So I think she's going to be really cool to see what happens with her character in the next couple of games, I think. For sure. Yeah, great game. Absolutely. And like we said, even if you haven't played the other ones, you can certainly still pick it up and enjoy it just by itself. Alrighty. Well, we've done the Norse side of things. Let's get into some Greek and specifically some ancient Greece. Uh, the next game we have on our list is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, released in 2018 once again and developed by Ubisoft. Um, this is the latest installment in the Assassin's Creed series. It's set in ancient Greece. Uh, you play as a, merc- a mercenary of Spartan origins. You can choose to fight uh, for Athens or Sparta during the Peloponnesian War. And along the way, you meet tons of ancient Greek characters, uh, gain a ship crew, and fight the mysterious cult of Cosmos. Um, we've been playing Assassin's Creed for a long time now. There's so many games. Um, and then Odyssey was kind of the second after they sort of rebooted it with Origins the year before into a game with a lot of RPG-like elements as opposed to just sort of the straight-up action-adventure games that they used to be. 
So, yeah, I think I think they took everything they introduced in Origins and like only improved on it in this game. Yeah, I like this game a lot. I, my favorite parts are, I'm sure you'll want to talk because I know how much you like it, but the Cult of Cosmos stuff. And then, um, yeah, just there's lots of a great ensemble of characters. They did bring back the naval kind of ship battle stuff that was introduced earlier in the series and teased a little bit at the end of Origins. But in this one, it's obviously a huge aspect of it. But I'm actually going to have to leave a lot of the positive stuff to you because while I find this game, this game is definitely one of those games where it's like if you spend however much money on it, I mean, it doesn't really matter because you can play it for like years. Like there's so much content in this game, like it's worth the money. But in terms of the actual story, where it goes, um, the main characters, kind of how they sort of, I mean, the Athens, picking Athens or Sparta doesn't really matter because, I mean, you can just pick and choose like, as you go on the game, there's no real consequences. I, I, I like this game. It's definitely not my favorite Assassin's Creed. I know you're a big fan of this. Why don't you tell me why you like it so much? I don't think it's my favorite Assassin's Creed. Um, I will consider it one of the best games on a new generation, though, just because I think it's visually stunning. And then it's also quite a big technical achievement, too, just with how much of a world there is to explore here. Uh, the way the Cult of Cosmos works, the way the combat works. Um, there's so much going on. And I, I do think this game does have some of the best side missions in the entire Assassin's Creed story. Um, so there's just a lot of things that really work for me in this game. Like you, like you said, I do love the Cult of Cosmos stuff. I love that you get like a whole tree of members and you have to like investigate, um, and really track down each one and assassinate them. Like, I, I think this Assassin's Creed does the best job of making you feel like an actual assassin. Yeah, that cold stuff was definitely the best part. I remember being so happy whenever that menu popped up and the way that there's a mystery element to it where you're not 100% sure who it might be, but through finishing missions, maybe you'll get a clue and, yeah, that was the best part by far for me. I loved, you know, filling out that entire like chart and with the contracts and getting cool weapons and upgrades and armor from it. Like that was, yeah, like I said, like that was the best part of the game. I just, I wish like, I guess what I'm saying is I enjoyed the side quests. I joined the cult stuff, but I wish that the main storyline had been more exciting. I thought it was paced so bad and I like the characters and then where it ended up. I, I just feel like the, their character outside of the Animus, like they used to have Desmond and now they have this character, Layla. I just, I think she's interesting. It's just, I don't know what they're doing with her story. And it's just kind of all, it feels like it's the series as it goes on, just gets more and more convoluted. So it's hard to kind of keep track of, but at the very least the game is fun to play. So if you're somebody that doesn't really care too much about story, but you just like how a game will play and you want to explore like a humongous world, then I mean, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is the way to go. I do think the main story does. I think it starts out really strong. Um, I think it lags in the middle and then finishes mm -hmm. pretty strong. Um, and I also love the combat in this game. I think this might be my favorite combat in the Assassin's Creed series. Um, it's just so fun to play. It makes you feel uh, like whenever you get the hang of it, it makes you feel like a pretty badass warrior. Um, and I really like that some of the abilities that they added in too. Um, so I think I'm really excited to see what they do with the next one after everything they added in this one. Um, but I think this this game definitely took a lot of positive steps forward for the franchise. Yeah, even though I have some negatives, I'm still certainly looking forward to Valhalla coming out. The one thing I will say is if you do play this game, one of the highlights I would say, even though it's story-wise, in my opinion, it's nonsensical. And it actually, I think, really retroactively tears apart some of the lore from the previous games so keeping that in mind it's still a really cool dlc um what they did with the uh like fate of atlantis i think it's called which basically is three episodes where you go into kind of 
don't know what you want to call it, but it's kind of like the afterlife of sorts in this world. So like the first episode, you go to the Elysium Fields, the second one, you're in the underworld, and the third one, you're in Atlantis and kind of like at the height of like at these worlds height of their at the height at the height of their like culture. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, and it's really, I think, the best visuals that you get in the entire game is this DLC. And it really stuck out because, like I said, even though it does mess with the lore and the story itself is really confusing, it's just really cool to be able to like actually play inside like these Roman and Greek style like uh, fables and myths. Like, you know, being in the underworld and interacting with Hades is certainly something I never expected to be able to do. And like, there's just so much cool stuff there. So if you do pick up this game and enjoy it, I would certainly recommend continuing on with this DLC. Yeah, and to your point, uh, some of my favorite parts of the main game are uh, when you get to fight the mythological creatures, um, which is not something I expected, but you fight, like, uh, the Gorgon and Medusa, um, the Minotaur. Uh, so there's definitely some really cool moments there. And then I also really, really like how the, like, gladiatorial arenas work in this game. Um, I found those really fun and how you can like go in and just kind of work your way through all these like uh, more and more difficult bosses because um, each each arena kind of plays differently. Um, and so you kind of have to adapt every time you go into one of those as well. Yeah, those were definitely highlights. Those are really cool. And yeah, I mean, whenever they could highlight the combat in this game and obviously those arenas were places they could do it. That's where it's at its height, I feel like, in a lot of ways because the combat is just so fun. And then I think my other favorite part is with the ship crews, I love that you can like uh, recruit people from the world into your crew and actually see them like on your boat. Um, they don't really have much to do once they join your crew. So hopefully that gets improved upon. Um, but I like how even like some side quest members, um, if you do like make the right dialogue choices and like make the right um, action decisions, uh, you can eventually add them onto your crew too. So I thought that was a nice little touch as well. Yeah, that was cool. We're leaving the olden days or the ancient worlds behind and now we're going into the wild wild west we've got red dead 2 released in 2018 again and developed by rockstar games um this is a prequel to red dead redemption 1 it's set in 1899 and you play as outlaw arthur morgan who is a member of the vanderling game um you follow you follow the, the gang's decline and the events leading up to the start of red dead redemption 1 yeah it's a long one <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is another game that you brought up so i want to make sure you get in all of your points here but i'll just kind of tee it off i i really enjoy this game um to me it's not it's weird it's not as good of a game as red dead one but there's so many like individual elements about it that are way better than red dead one in my opinion the primary one being i think arthur morgan the protagonist here is just so much more interesting and I think just a better character overall than John Marston was, at least in the first Red Dead game, because John is in this game and seeing his interplay is very interesting. But I think Arthur's such a great character. And um, I think, again, here we, you know, we talked about the worlds of the previous games. The world here is just so lived in and it feels so real, even though, you know, obviously people like us have no idea what real even was back then. But it's still yeah, even like the random events in this game are amazing. Yeah. And you really do feel like choice. You, you have so many choices in any moment, you know, whether you want to kill someone or just try and take them in. And then the game, like the story even kind of emphasizes that because as the game goes on, Arthur gets more and more sick for various reasons. And then he kind of reflects on his life choices and how he wants to maybe better himself as a person. So 
maybe should he even be doing these deeds? And then you as the player gets to kind of decide, you know, if you do want to be a quote unquote bad guy or good guy, even as your end seems to be nearing. So it was a really interesting in that sense. Um, as for my negative, I just, like I kind of joked about, I just feel like the game is so long that the pacing does lag and it does feel off in some places. And I did find myself at points while playing for the first time that I just really was trying to get through the story. Like I wasn't really enjoying the world as much as I could have. I was just trying to find out what would happen. So I was like doing story missions after story missions. So it kind of felt like a chore at points. And by the end, I mean, Austin, I've talked about this before, but after I actually beat it, I think it just felt a little bit hollow. And I really haven't gone back to it. Like once I actually beat the game, I was like, oh, cool. You know, I beat it. That was good. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, messed around in the open world a little bit, but then I kind of was like, eh, I guess we'll move on to the next thing. As opposed to when I played Red Dead 1, I couldn't put that game down even after I beat it. Even the multiplayer, we played nonstop with the first one. And after I beat the single player here, I just kind of fell off both the multiplayer and the single player. So I'd love to hear, you know, why this game is so great to you. Yeah, I think it kind of depends the way uh, you play this game. Because mm-hmm. for me, like, whenever I finally decided to put this game down, like, I felt like I was done with it. Um, and that, the way I played it was, like, I literally did not go into to the next story mission until I'd finished every single side mission, like, available to me on the map. Um, so it took me a really long time to get through. Um, but whenever I finished it, I felt like it was completed, and I felt like I didn't really have a need to go back to it. Um, and I also really... And I was surprised by this. I was surprised with how interesting I found Dutch's story in this game um, from where he starts to where he ends up. Um, I think he's a really tragic character. Um, and I just, I did not expect this going in because he's just kind of like a, a quick boss at the beginning of Red Dead 1. So I wasn't sure how they were going to do a whole story on him. Um, but I really, really found his story interesting. And then I also really loved getting to know like every member of the gang. And like, I like all the moments you get with each individual member. Um, and all the things you can do to either negatively or positively impact those relationships. Um, and I also really like the survival elements of this game. Um, I know some people found them really annoying, but I found it pretty interesting how like you have to continually remember to eat and drink. Um, and like you have to go hunting for the gang. And like it just, there's so many elements of this game that make it feel so real. And I just found that really uh, like an experience I haven't gotten from other games before. Yeah, it was certainly unique in that way. I think it caught people off guard, but I kind of found it refreshing having to do those things. Because we never have to do stuff like that in other games. And this one, it felt appropriate for the story and kind of the characters. Like, you know, they're part of a gang where kind of pulling your weight is so important. So I kind of actually found that stuff interesting and necessary to further the game and kind of the characters' relationships. Which, with a prequel like this, I feel like you're even more interested in kind of the character relationships. Because you know where some of them stand in the future. So, yeah, I thought it was just overall cool i just the story kind of dragging a lot and i think the even the epilogue at the end just they were really trying to connect this game to the first one and to the point of the epilogue is i mean it's hours long and it just feels like they yeah. could have simplified some things and so it just gets to a point where i mean when you're told hey this is the epilogue i i don't think it's the player's fault that you know five or six hours later when this are playing and they're still trying to get to the end like i don't think there's anything wrong with that that they're trying to push through it just yeah it just feels like certain things were just 
a bit stretched out in this one, but you know, still good. Yeah, I think the I think the epilogue is definitely one of my least favorite parts of this game, um, mainly because playing as Arthur is so interesting that I really had no desire to play as John. Um, I love I love John Marston's story in the first game, but I honestly would have rather just had more time with Arthur. Um, and I honestly I get why you know he has to die for the story to work, um, but I still would have rather been able to have more time with Arthur playing as him. I think the most memorable for me was really the only thing I did after I beat the single player is I went back to the lower, I guess, more southern, especially the southwest part of the map. And I wanted to explore all of the places I could from the original Red Dead that were in this one. So, like, you can go to Blackwater, you can go to the McFarland's Ranch, you can go to Armadillo, like all these like huge locations from the original game are still there and they're in the same place. But you get to kind of go there as like before these places are established fully as they are in Red Dead 1. So kind of getting to see the past of some of these really cool locations and see how similarly they look and then differently at times was really interesting. So that was kind of one of my favorite parts. Yeah, I love how... um, What's the town that has the plague when you go to it? Oh, maybe Armadillo. Not 100% sure on that. What you, there is one like main city in Red Dead One that you can go visit in this game, and there's like an ongoing plague in the city, um, and there's like people like sick in the streets. There's like like the whole town has just been like shattered by this plague, and I, that was like really surprising when I rode up to it to see that. Yeah, yeah there was lots of just kind of real world events happening inside the game, like at, in real time too. That certainly caught me off guard in a good way. So yeah, lots of great moments. One of my favorite things I ever did in this game was I started at the very, very top of the map uh, where the snowy mountains are and decided to ride to the very bottom of the of the map that's the first game. Um, and I, the whole point of it was I was going to ride and do every single random event that happened to me on the way. So it took a really long time, um, but it was so fun. Like no events repeated themselves. Um, it felt like I was kind of playing a story mission almost, just like the way things were happening. Um, and it's it's really just a testament to Rockstar's uh, dedication to like making this world feel lived in. That that like even just riding throughout the world is so fun in this game. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean stuff like that you can easily do in a game like this. It's almost like they made it for weird kind of goal setting stuff like that. So. Very cool. And another one of those games, if you buy it, you'll certainly, if you want to, if you want to put the time in, it's one you can get your money out of because you can put so much time in and like stuff won't repeat itself. So, you know, it's a good one for sure. Let's move away from the old West now and let's get in to Gotham City, specifically Arkham Knight, uh, which was developed by Rocksteady and released in 2015. So you're back in the you're back in the boots of Batman um, on Halloween night in Gotham, and you're trying to prevent Scarecrow and Arkham Knight from releasing a deadly fear toxin across the city. So I had this game on the list just because I I really did want to talk about the Arkham series because um, it's it's one of my favorite series in. Uh, in video games um i found this game specifically really fun there's definitely some moments that don't work for me um but i love the addition of the batmobile always as always like being able to travel across gotham and batman roles and batman's role is really fun um and i actually found scarecrow to be a pretty good villain in this game which i was wasn't surprised by um and i really like how joker is a hallucination in this game so you get some like pretty fun moments of him just like popping up out of nowhere and like doing like a jump scare or just like taunting you like while you're in a fight yeah, I like this game a lot too. I'm kind of like reflecting on what I've said about the previous games on this episode so far, and I guess I do kind of feel similar similarly here. Um, I really do like this game. I'm a big fan of the Arkham series as well. Um, 
This one isn't my favorite Arkham game. Um, I definitely prefer City and maybe even Asylum in some senses, just because I like that claustrophobic environment. But Arkham Knight's still a great game, there's no doubt. But, you know, again, while it's so fun to play, there's so many great individual moments. The characters are great. The game looks beautiful. Even still, five years later, it still looks amazing. My one problem here... Dive bombing into the Batmobile feels good every time. Yeah. But my one problem is just, I think the story just has a lot of misfires. Um, I think the Arkham Knight, kind of, you know, the title character was a pretty big one. It's just, I feel like even if you're just kind of like a casual Batman fan, the second this character starts talking, you know exactly who it is. So the mystery, the fact that Batman doesn't know, and that goes on until the end of the game is a pretty big letdown. And then kind of, I feel like the storyline with batman turning into the joker because of the infected blood from arkham city um while cool i feel like it it was spent a little bit too much time on and i know you know they were trying to tie it in because joker is a hallucination in your mind the whole game so mark hamill gives him a chance to come back and play that amazing character but i feel like the actual joker blood storyline feels a little bit out of place at times because the game kind of feels like a more realistic setting than just kind of this ridiculous story and then even then, it just, I feel like, goes on a bit too long. And by the end, the game gets a little bit, like, almost existential in a weird way, where Batman's having to literally fight Joker out of him. There, You go into, like, a first-person, like, a shooting game where he plays the Joker yeah, inside that was Batman's weird. mind. I thought it was really <laughs> cool, but it's just, it kind of, I remember when I played it the first time, it made me reflect, like, man, I'm kind of surprised that this is the storyline that went for this game with the whole Joker blood thing. Not a bad thing. It's just that I guess the Arkham Knight part of the game was such a big letdown for me that it kind of forced me to focus on the other storyline, which, I mean, this is kind of the other big one. So it kind of, I guess, maybe maybe I'm a bit too critical on it. But even when I go back and play the game, and I will say it's one of the positives, I find this game very replayable. I've replayed it, I think, probably three times in its entirety. But, um... Yeah, I just think this whole concept kind of picking up off of Arkham City was maybe a bit stretched out and a bit taken too seriously. And, you know, there are some great moments, though, whenever kind of Joker's trying to take over and Batman's trying to fight it off. And maybe he may or may not have just killed someone. But then you find out it was just a hallucination. But kind of what that means for the Batman-Joker relationship is something we've never seen before. So it's definitely maybe it'll work for some fans and like its entirety so i definitely recommend it to see if it's something that you're interested in if you haven't played it yet yeah i think um the story is probably the weakest of the trilogy in this one um but i do think this game does have a lot of great like individual moments uh with the different members of the bat family and even some of the villains in this game mm-hmm. um i really like like the batman gordon relationship and how um, like there's conflict whenever he realizes Barbara's been working with Batman, but then when Gordon figures out who uh, Batman is, that he's Bruce Wayne, he like kind of softens and understands why Batman does what he does. Um, I really like the moments with um, with Jason Todd whenever he like I hate the Arkham Knight reveal that it is Jason Todd, but yeah. I think there is a good moment whenever Batman does still try to save him, and then uh, Jason Todd realizes that the Joker's been manipulating him this whole time. Yeah. Um, and then there's also some really good moments with Tim Drake as well and Nightwing. Um, and I just think that uh, I I think the main reason to play this game is one, driving around in the Batmobile is super fun. But then also, if you're a big Batman fan, um, it, you could you just really get some great individual moments with all these characters. Um, and I think it is a really it does put a nice bow on the series um, on the Batman series as a whole. Yeah, I think the other thing about this game, 
I'm, I'm so excited for the future, but just looking at this one, it's so funny. They'll go back at Arkham Asylum and then look where the trilogy ended with Arkham Knight. It just feels like it. this series went from pretty straightforward games, not in a bad way, to it ends with just this crazy, like, you know, like, what's like mind fuck game like it's it goes from like almost <laughs> like a really straightforward thing to like an m night Shyamalan movie with twists and stuff at times yeah it's just kind of it really it's does. surprising that they went that route there's also there's also some really good um poison ivy moments in this game too yeah. like she gets a pretty cool redemption um there's even a good moment with harley as well in the movie theater um i I just really think they uh like really like i said really do put a bow on this franchise with uh just all the individual moments you get in this game and then also like driving around the batmobile is so fun i can't say it enough yeah. they really made that work and it's really fun to do yeah, the batmobile is controversial in this game but i really liked it i had i still have a blast playing with it and you know using the tank like i loved it um the, i guess one, one other thing yeah. I to mention is that the game does kind of do a an unexpected thing that people I don't know how people feel about it but um basically once you beat the game it feels very very anticlimactic because the game being the end of the trilogy and the way it ends with Batman essentially being like I can't be Batman anymore this is my last night as Batman the game forces you to basically finish all of the side quests before you can actually see the ending so for some people you might not like that or maybe if you've already played it, you don't like that because the game ends with this big, you know, defeating Scarecrow and Batman telling Gordon, you were there at the beginning. Now you're going to see how it ends. And then basically the game just tells you, okay, go finish all the side quests and then you can see the ending. And it's like, oh, <laughs> so if you're somebody yeah. might not like that, the game might be extreme. It might be like one of the most like anticlimactic trilogies of all time. If you, if you don't actually like go through with it and get to the actual ending, but I get why they did it, and the actual ending that comes after that, if you kind of 100% it and then watch the ending, to me, is, is really badass and really kind of ambiguous in a great way. So I think it's worth it, but something to note. What do you think the, the ending of this actually means? Do you think <sighs> Batman is back? Do you think he's using the fear gas to like induce uh, fear in criminals of the Batman? What do you think is happening here? It's so crazy, because each like solution has like, like a scary... like kind of sad quality to it because like if, if batman is using the fear toxin then it's like he's no better than scarecrow and he was the main villain who he was just fighting so it is kind of interesting in that sense and there is also the other um whatchamacallit the other possibility that whenever he goes into the manor at the end you see in the crowd as calendar man so whenever it blows up it could be possible that this wasn't even the nightfall protocol whenever he walks into the manor and it blows up that could have been calendar man you know basically blowing up the manor and killing them so it's like well then yeah. what does the ending mean after that for me i think it kind of leaned towards i'm not 100 percent sure what the nightmare batman means but i do assume that it is bruce wayne in some form what that means how he's using the fear gas if he is if it's something that like he's it's like an aerosol somehow or like, how does it work? Like, I don't know. There's so much unknown to it, but I've kind of always leaned towards, I think, whatever we are seeing, it is an alive Bruce Wayne in some form doing his own thing in order to con not continue Batman, but to continue fighting crime just in a different way. I do kind of lean towards that. What about you? I th I think it is Bruce Wayne doing something behind the scenes. What I hope, what I really, really hope is that after Rocksteady gets done fucking around with the Suicide Squad is they come back and decide to do a Batman Beyond story. Mm. I think that'd be really, really sweet. Or I hope they decide to do um, their version of like a Dark Knight Returns story. Um, that could be interesting. Those are the two things I hope. Because they do establish that 
obviously with the Suicide Squad game, the Justice League does exist in this universe. Um, so either one of those I would be totally down for. I don't know if we'll ever get it, but that's just my hopes. Now, who knows? I mean, I'd be interested in that. I mean, you'd, you'd have to assume the Suicide Squad game takes place. We, we talked about this on our DC Fandom episode, but like it takes place after Arkham Knight. Batman, obviously a huge member of the Justice League. Like maybe we'll get some clarification, maybe not like a full on answer, but maybe we will get some type of clue as to what's going on in Gotham and where's Batman been? Like, is Bruce really dead? Will like, will, for example, will Tim Drake or Nightwing be on the Justice League in this game? Like, who knows? Like, there's lots of unknowns, but yeah, I kind of do. I do hope as well that maybe someday they'll kind of return to this Batman side of the Arkhamverse in some way. And even if it's like a Batman Beyond game or Dark Knight Returns, where it doesn't have to focus on Bruce Wayne at all times, maybe just somebody else trying to pick up the Batman mantle and maybe he's involved as a mentor. Either way, I think they could do something really cool with it. Yeah, I think they could too. I was honestly really shocked that Gotham Knights is the one not set in the Arkham universe just because it, it would have been a cool way to have him in the mentor role as, as this crew takes over. You know what I mean? It really, I mean, they set it up like he dies. Like it really could have been. It yeah. just seems like they wanted to go with a new art style and do their own take on the characters and story, which is obviously they're right. Um, just a bit surprising because it almost seems like they could have used that to tie the court of owls into the Arkhamverse, but you know, whatever. That's a topic for whenever that game comes out to see how well it works. But yeah. You know, we'll see what happens with the Arkhamverse and how it will continue. Okay, well, let's get into some quick hits. Um, Before we kind of, for this section, we each brought games that only one of us has played. Uh, But before we do that, we also did want to mention... The Last of Us Part 2 is on our list. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to spend too much time here because we do have an entire episode, a really, really long episode too, if you want to hear us break down that entire game. Um, but The Last of Us 2 definitely had to be on this list because uh, I think we both agree it is one of the best games of this generation. I think it's one of the best video games I've ever played. I know that's a hot take. I know this game is so controversial, but I just, I love the story. I love these characters. I loved how they use them. I loved kind of the take on revenge, the toll it takes. Should you follow through what revenge means for different people? Like there's just, you know, so many great things in this game. We did a, like Austin said, we did it. I believe it was at least it's around a two hour spoiler cast whenever that game came out. So if you go to our feed and just scroll back a little bit, you could enjoy that. If you want to hear our just basically our entire take on the last of us part two, but the short answer is we both loved it. Yeah, and I also agree. I think it's one of the best games ever made and also one of the best sequels ever made as well. For sure. Um, and like I said in that in that episode, this game I also think makes the first one a better game as well. So if you haven't played that series, go play that series. Do yourself a favor. Please go play The Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2. Yeah, and play it now because Austin and I have talked about there is kind of an eerie quality playing um, these games now. Like I first played The Last of Us Part 1 in quarantine and then a few months later Part 2 came out obviously still playing it in quarantine. There is kind of a, I won't say a really cool, but I mean there is kind of this eerie interesting thing about playing it while every you know, all this unfortunate stuff in the world is going on. So it might kind of heighten your experience if you're looking for something to do while still in quarantine. Alright, Matt, Tell me about what remains of Edith Fitch. Yes, this is one of the ones I wanted to highlight on my list. Um, I believe this is on both PS4 and Xbox One. I'm pretty sure it is, but it was made by Annapurna, and 
it's just this really interesting game. Like, I feel like on the surface, people might think it's like one of the Telltale games, but it's really kind of its own thing. So basically what this game is, is you play as, it's a first person game, and you play as this character named Edith Finch, who is a young woman who is basically returning to her grandmother's childhood home. So this is this is a place where she spent a lot of time growing up, but she's never been back. I, I believe her parents just passed away, at least her mom did. And this is a place that she just has not been to because there's so much kind of trauma tied to it. And she finally decides, I'm going to go back. And basically, literally the entire game is just you. Basically, it starts like just on the outskirts, like kind of walking up to the house. And then the rest of the game is just you walking through the house, kind of making your way from the bottom floor to the top floor. And that's, that's, I mean, in terms of what you actually do in the game, that's it. That's all you do. But What's cool about it is there's these vignettes where as you walk through the house, there's boarded up doors. And what these doors are, are the rooms that all of the members of Edith's family, you know, occupied at some point, whether it be their childhood bedroom or just a place they stayed, what have you. Um, And you have to like kind of solve puzzles and find ways to get past, um, you know, kind of the locked front door. And you kind of come to realize the reason the doors are locked is because the grandmother that lived there would board up the rooms once these people died. And this family may or may not have kind of like a curse attached to them where they die young. So you kind of get to explore the house and learn about the Finch family, this curse that may have befallen them. And it's really just a beautiful game. Like it's really emotional. And really- Is it a horror game? It has horror elements, but I would say the overall game isn't a horror. Like some parts of it are comedic. Some of these vignettes are dramatic. Some of them are extremely sad that will make you really feel, but none of them are sad for the sake of being sad. Like they're presented really well and in really interesting ways. Like one of them, I won't go too much into it. One of them is about a suicide. One of these characters commits suicide, but the way they showcase his life is by, he was kind of like, he was one of those people that, you know, just likes to live in his head and kind of daydream and so his vignette is you playing through one of his daydreams and it's just this like he oh, imagines himself cool. as a prince and he's kind of sailing the seas and you kind of control the boat as it sails and it's just it's really interesting and like all the vign- like these vignettes are that focus on each of the finch family like they're all different they play different the game plays a little bit different in each of them and it's a really just emotionally satisfying game and like i said like it's you know you'll laugh You'll be a little bit scared during parts of it. You'll cry in some parts of it, but it just kind of runs the gamut. And overall, I mean, it'll probably only take you like five hours at most to beat it, probably less than that. So it's a game I recommend that people play, like if you have a significant other or a friend or just anybody in quarantine, like even like a father, because this, or a mother, I love that I just said father. I was going to say mother, but then I started moving on to my next point. You could play this game with like your parents or your siblings because this game is like just literally, I mean, it's focus is family. So I feel like anybody you could, you know, play it by yourself or play it with someone else. I feel like you'll, you, everybody will get something out of this game. So you mentioned how you have that segment where you play as like the guy who thinks he's a prince. Um, is most of this game in the house or is most of this game played like in those like kind of side story, like different art styles? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So all the vignettes, there's so many, there's a bunch of them and they're all different. So the house itself is really well designed. So like when you're playing as Edith walking through the house, like you're, it's just this really crazy like direction of house whenever you go into the rooms like some of them will be the house like a different point in time like maybe it's like 60 years prior and it looks a little bit different or some of them like i said this one the house itself isn't even 
really important. Like you're playing a different art style, like somewhere else. So some of them utilize the house in the past. Some of them take you to a completely different like style of game almost. Um, so yeah, it's very varied, which is much appreciated. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. I know you've been telling me about it for a while. Yeah, this one's cool. So I see you also, next up, you had Metro Exodus, which is the third game in this series, right? Yeah, it's the third game in the series. It's the first one on the new generation. Um, for those of you that don't know, Metro is a series that p- takes place 20 years after a nuclear uh, war resulting from World War III. Um, you play in Russia. Um, so this nuclear war uh, basically devastates uh, the city of Moscow and all the survivors have retreated into the tunnels and you have to contend with mutated monsters um, and then also the Nazi and communist posi- parties are still waging their war. Um, and literally this, the first two games only take place in the subways. You rarely go outside um, and you play as RTM who has grown up in this new world. Um, he eventually joins uh, the order, which consists of like these old special forces called Spartan Rangers um, and they're like there to keep the peace. Um, so Exodus is the third installment into Metro series. Um, and it's the first on the current generation. Um, and it makes a departure from the metros of Moscow. And you follow a year um, through four different seasons in the post-apocalyptic like Russian wilderness. Um, and it's probably one of my favorite series that I've played. Um, and then also one of my favorite games I played on this console. It's so pretty um for an apocalyptic game it's also so scary there's some moments that are like genuinely make your heart race and are terrifying um then all these characters just have a really good um ending in this game uh there's lovely moments with each one of them uh, specifically with your wife anna in this game um all the moments you have with anna are super sweet um you're kind of trying to save her because she gets sick while you're out in the wilderness um and there's just so many great moments in here and there's each each season is a different open world setting which is a first for the game um and you kind of get you get like a map for each region um, and there's different points you have to investigate, but you can do everything how you want. And then there's also a, a new and improved like morality system. So there's a couple different endings and different things that can happen depending on choices you make in this game as well. Nice. That sounds really cool. Yeah, this is another one that you've been telling me about. I just I want to I try and play the first two first so I kind of maybe know more what's going on. Did you like the first two in the series as well? The first two are great. They're just older. Okay. Um, so they they did release Metro Redux, though, where they uh, redesigned and remastered them for the current generation. And uh, so that that's what I played them on. Um, and it's it's a really great series. You can play the entire series on Game Pass, which is like probably one of the best deals in gaming if you own an Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would highly recommend getting Game Pass. And I think if you sign up now, you can sign up for a dollar and get three months free. Um, and you can play the entire series um, on Game Pass. Um, and this game does a great job of kind of like The Last of Us, you never feel comfortable. Um, so you always have to manage air filters because if you go outside, um, the air is contaminated from radiation. Um, you always have, to, and when you're in the subways, you have to manage your light. Um, so you constantly have to like recharge your battery. Um, and if it goes dark, like you kind of can't see anything coming at you. And then also in the first two games, ammo is a currency. So you have to decide between. Um, getting into like a big gunfight or being stealthy and having some more currency to like buy new weapons um in the third game in the third game they did away from that and there's like a crafting system um but it's probably one of my favorite crafting systems i've ever played in a game um it's a crafting backpack so you can craft wherever you are but the whole point of it is you um change out your weapons and the different attachments for different situations so like if you're going to be up on a tower you like change your gun to be a sniper rifle but if you're going to be going into like a closed building you change it to be like an smg or like a close like a sawed off shotgun or something like that so it's really cool Hmm. yeah that sounds really neat i didn't realize there was all these cool kind of mechanics i kind of always had such a different take on just like a post-apocalypse like survival game but it sounds like there's some really cool 
elements that I wasn't really aware of. So I think this gives me even more of a reason to jump into the series. I've been wanting to do it for a while, so I don't really have much of an excuse now. Yeah, I think you should. I think you'll really like the first one because there is like a psychological, um, like uh, otherworldly element to that first one that I kind of did away from. But I, just knowing your taste, I think you'll really appreciate that. Nice. Okay, I see the next game you have on our list is Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So this is the Final Fantasy VII remake. It's not called Part One, but it's essentially. They took the 1997 game, Final Fantasy VII, that was for PlayStation 1, right? And they basically did a full, like, completely redid the game for current generation. Um, And instead of, like, being, like, a top-down, pixelated, almost, uh, game, this one is just a standard, like, great graphics uh, third-person game. And the the first game was also a turn-based RPG. This one... Is not that at all. It's real time. So it's very different, but it's basically, I think what they're going to do is like split up that original game into three chunks and release those. So this game is kind of like the first third of the original game from what I understand. And I played most of the original game, but I have never finished it fully. I have it on, that you can buy like the original on current consoles as well. I just have to finish it. But anyway, so this remake is essentially plays Cloud Strife, who's a mercenary for hire. And he joins up with this group called Avalanche, who is a kind of eco-terrorist group that's trying to fight this big, crazy corporation called Shinra. And it's just an amazing cast of characters. And it's an RPG, real-time, like I said. And it's just such a beautiful game. I just, I like, I felt like I was like, I don't use this word ever, but I was like spellbound playing. It's like, I feel like this game like put me under a spell. I'm like, I never wanted to do anything except get through the story and get new upgrades and make my weapons better and interact with all the characters in this world. And this isn't typically one of the styles of games that I'm huge into. I've definitely played lots of RPGs of this style, but this is certainly more like a Japanese, um, like traditional RPG, but just, They've upgraded it to have better graphics than the original, and it's a real-time battle system. So it's like it's not like where you run up to an enemy, for example, and then the screen changes, and then you basically each take turns hitting each other. This is if you run up to an enemy, you, you know, just hit them, and there's like a whole menu-based combat system. And what you want to do like while you're fighting is you're always trying to do regular hits to build up these two little bars. And if you build up one of the bars, you can go into slow motion and then you can like cast spells or you can do heavier attacks or combos or you can hit right trigger or left trigger to also control the members in your party. And they have like long ranged attacks and different magic. Like it's so it's so crazy. And like there's so much different like upkeep to do before battles, like kind of making sure you're equipped for the right situation. But on top of that, like we talked so much today about, well, I really like the gameplay, but I just didn't love the story. I mean, this one is where I just think this game fired on all cylinders for me. I just loved how deep this gameplay could be. But then I also it was just so like, I wanted to like, even though this game's like a longer game, I just wanted to get through it because I was just so in love with the story. But this is different than Red Dead, where even though I wanted to get through the game, like I would like come to a new town and I would see all these side quests and I was like, oh man, this sounds, I got to do that. Like, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a really cool quest. Like, well, I got to kill this monster. And like, you find out there's something else totally going on. It's like, oh shit, like, like this whole mystery, like there's just so much going on. And I just, I, I just love this game. I thought it was amazing. And right now I believe it's just on PS4. It's a Square Enix game. But I think they have a new deal. Like, I feel like some of their games are coming to Xbox. So I think they have a deal where like, next year this one might come to xbox so yeah 
So lots going on. Can't say enough about it. I feel like So can you play this can you play this game if you haven't played the other Final Fantasy games? Yeah, so that's the cool thing. So Final Fantasy, even though there's like fifteen numbered games, like none of them are really related to each other. Like they're their own contained story, like their own world. I don't even know if they even reference the other games like at all. So like Final Fantasy seven came out in ninety seven. It was its own game. You know, it wasn't like a direct sequel to Final Fantasy six, you know what I mean? Um so this one is just a remake of that one, Final Fantasy VII. So very easy okay. to jump into. You won't be missing anything. And yeah, it's really cool. All right. Uh, well, we're going to go uh, quick through these last two because we are just about to run out of time. Um, I did want to mention The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, though. Um, this one came out in 2015 and was released by CD uh, Project Red. Um, I think this game is one of the best games on current generation just in terms of sheer content. Um, the main story alone is probably 100 hours of stuff to do. Um, and then with DLCs and stuff, it probably gets up to like 150 to 200 hours. Um, I've been playing this game for probably six months now. And I'm still like have I'm nowhere near done with stuff to do. Um, the main story itself is super interesting and really fun. Um, there's a lot of really cool like choice elements as with any RPG. Um, there's different things you can do that impact the story. Um, and then also the combat in this game is really fun. And then like, just like the show, the monster hunting element, um, just kind of makes for endless content. But then I will say, even with some of these side quests, like the decisions you make, um, like have a physical impact on the world. So if you choose to do something and leave, uh, whenever you come back to that region, um, you'll see like the choices you made and how, how they've heavily impacted whatever region you're returning to. Um, so there's a ton to do here, a ton of customization. So if you're bored in quarantine right now, I would highly recommend picking this one up um, if you need something to do. Nice. And you didn't really play. Did you play the previous games at all? Like you were able to just jump into this one, right? Yeah, I jumped into it. I watched a recap of the first two like on YouTube. Um, but even without doing that, you're pretty it's pretty easy to jump into this one and get a pretty good sense of what's going on. Nice. I always like when they have like self-contained ones. Like I feel like probably fans would appreciate this game in a different way, but it's nice that anybody can jump in. That's cool. It does like it does pick up like mid story, um, but they do a really good job like through dialogue of just explaining what's been going on. So right, yeah, no, that's awesome. And also, this world just this world's so interesting. I think too, just like with the show, like it's just so fun to explore and meet all the characters and just really learn like the lore and mythology of this world. That's awesome. I love that. So I like how you mentioned that. I feel like we've been mentioning this, and I feel like it's kind of cool to do an episode like this while we're in quarantine because. It's just a great excuse to, you know, catch up on games that maybe you haven't. So that's kind of what I had in mind whenever I picked this last game as well, which is I meant whenever I talked about Edith Finch, I talked about it. it's not like it has elements of like kind of these telltale games, but not really. But this last game I'm going to talk about Life is Strange is definitely more of a telltale style game. So if you've played like the Telltale Walking Dead, Borderlands, Batman, this game will feel a bit familiar. Like the gameplay is just walking around and interacting with characters and making choices. but I wanted to bring this one up because it feels like the best version of those games to me. Like the choices in this game, like they'll come up and you'll just have to pause and walk away for 10 minutes and just reflect on your <laughs> reflect on your life, reflect on what this could mean or possibly happen. And both choice, both choices feel terrible, but you have to make one. <laughs> so it's really cool. I love, I love stuff like that. And basically just the, Oh, I love that in games. I know. I'm going to have to play this one. And it does have one cool thing. There is like one bit of, um, like extra gameplay on top of just walking around and interacting. So this one you play as uh, a high schooler named Max 
And she basically, the setup for the story is she's just moved back to her hometown after being away for a few years in a different city. And um, on her like first day of school, she walks into the bathroom and she hears like a ruckus and she looks around the corner and she sees this really popular kid basically shoot, like kill like one of her childhood friends. And she just has no idea what's going on and she freaks out. And during her freak out, she ends up rewinding time. And as she rewinds time, her friend is all right. You know, they get to kind of rekindle their relationship and their friendship. And then as the game goes on, it kind of seems like while the time element is so important, it may have kind of everlasting consequences on both you as the character and maybe even this world, kind of what this rewinding time could do. And it's basically just trying, Max is just kind of like a good natured girl and she's just trying to make everybody happy so she's using these powers to kind of give everybody the best life they can and it's all about making the right choices of when to use this power when not to and kind of you know where that ends up is pretty dramatic and there's a huge mystery involved and it's yeah great cast of characters great amazing amazing story it's five episodes just like kind of the traditional telltale games again this isn't telltale but i'm just kind of it does feel like they took a lot of inspiration so it's like five episodes just a couple hours a piece probably and again if possible i would recommend playing this with somebody because the idea of making choices together is super appealing and it's just such a gratifying story in my opinion and i love that they made it a bit more gameplay driven than something like the Telltale games, because you can rewind time at any point and you can kind of see how the world around you is affected and it might give you other dialogue or like world choosing whatever options if you use the time in the right way. So it's pretty cool. It's it's a really great game. I definitely recommend it. So there you go. Yeah, I always see that game come up on like the best games lists, um, but I didn't realize there was that much to it. So yeah. you got me excited. I, I want to go play that one now. Yeah, definitely would recommend to everybody out there. All right, uh, let's get into one of my favorite parts of our show. Let's do our awards for this week. Unfortunately, we have to do them without Keith, so he's not going to start us off. Um, So I'll go ahead and kick us off. Uh, For those of you that don't know, we do awards every episode. It can literally be for anything. It just has to relate to what we're talking about today. And I'm going to give, this is from The Witcher 3, Mm. I'm going to give the least intimidating boss without armor Mm. award to Immerlith who's the leader of the wild hunt. His armor is super intimidating. Like he looks like a big baddie uh, whenever you see him. Mm-hmm. But then the second you see him without his armor on, he just looks like this like bald pasty little man. <laughs> and like, as soon as like, there's, there's literally a cutscene where you see him without all his armor on. Mm-hmm. And all the like allure of him is taken away in that scene. And it's not even intentional. It's totally just the design of him is just so bad out of the armor. Um, so that's my award for this week. I love it. I love that. I need to play this game just so I can witness this bald man in his full glory. <laughs> it's also weird, too, because he's, like, surrounded by naked elves, like, sitting in this chair. Mm-hmm. And he's just sitting there naked without his armor on. And the second you see him, it's just like, this is the guy that's, like, I've been in fighting for the past 50 hours. <laughs> it's this bald, pasty little man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of the past 50 hours, I'm going to give my award um, for it's going to be the most persistent award. And it's going to go to Dutch Vanderland from Red Dead 2, because <laughs> this guy for 50 plus hours can just draw you back in. He's like, come on, guys, we got a plan. Let's stick One to the plan. Heist. One, One last, last time. It's all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> like This guy just does yeah. not quit. And here on the Arnie's, we appreciate 
a can't quit attitude. So even though he turned <laughs> into a murderer in the next He's game. He's such a good character, though. We have to appreciate the fact that he kept these people around for that one last heist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and can join us every single week. Um, also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow the show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. Our Star Wars series will be back next week with Revenge of the Sith and a little teaser. We may have a special guest next week. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Well, in the meantime, everybody, while you're waiting for that beautiful Revenge of the Sith episode, I mean, what could be better? I mean, we're following up Attack the Clones, and we have the most fun quote in that podcast. We have a bunch of quotes to come. But in the meantime, if you want to go ahead and DM us at the Arnie's on social media, Instagram is certainly the easiest, I would say. Send us a message. Send us your thoughts on the show that we've been doing. I mean, send us a, send us your favorite games, even if you want to. Send us your thoughts yeah, on Star Wars. Yeah, let us know Wars. your favorite games. Yeah, talk about your favorite games. Say what you think about Star Wars. And we'll be happy. to Whatever you send, we'll read it on the next show. And yeah, feel free to send those our way. We'd be happy to read them. We'd be happy to interact with you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye, everyone. See ya.